As you know, I have been talking with you about a glorious subject, and I had mentioned uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb and felt that we came to some conclusions on the marriage supper of the Lamb itself uh, to do with the church, the bride of Christ, and Christ the bridegroom. And But there are many things associated with the marriage supper of the Lamb that are very important. As you remember, I had mentioned to you Romans 7 two weeks ago and then concluded it last week in relationship to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Romans 7, 1 to 4. I'm not going to read it again lest I get involved in a message again on that subject, which I could. There's a lot more to be said. But the whole theme of the message is this, that the Jews were married to the law of Moses. The Gentiles really never were, but they adopted it. The Gentiles adopted the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. If I were to go in most churches today and ask the children, I dread saying this, but if I would ask the children, how do you get to heaven? I think a lot of them would tell me, by the Ten Commandments. You somehow strike an average, and if you hit, well, when I was a young fellow, passing was 65, I don't know whether it's that anymore, but uh, you strike an average, and if you somehow get 70 or 75, you make it. But, of course, the law was never given for this purpose. Galatians tells us the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That's all. But when we have come to Christ and found life, the schoolmaster is dead. So Romans 7, 1 to 4 tells you that. You see, Romans 7 tells you that uh, there is a marriage to the law. This is the first husband. And then he goes on to say, but if the first husband be dead, then you are free to marry another. And then he goes on to say, now you have been made dead to the law by the body of Christ. May I say, this is a very important thing, and just if you quickly remember this at all times, when you died with Christ, you died to everything previous to Christ. You died to the law, which was previous to Christ. You died to sin, you see, in the world since Adam, and you died to Adam. You broke your relationship with Adam because you died. You are in Adam, all die. Okay, you died. In Christ, all shall be made alive. Broken relationship to what? To the law. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the law to every man that believes. So you have no doubt about that. Dead to sin. Romans 6 chapter. We have been made dead to sin by the body of Christ. In other words... God looks at us as having died with Christ on the cross, and that's why Paul says, I would know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. Unless you have seen yourself on the cross of Calvary, dead, you are not alive to God. You are made new creatures in Jesus Christ, a new creation of God. So that is the place we stand in. What a glorious position. Whosoever the Son shall make free, he's free indeed. You see? 
<laughs> Isn't it marvelous? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Why? Dead, dead, dead. Alive, alive, alive in Jesus Christ. You see? Reckon yourselves therefore to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. It's always the same. Tremendous, tremendous theme and message. He's made us free men. You know, I couldn't help but think that, uh, and I, you know, it's hard sometimes to think this, isn't it? Huh? The second husband was better than the first. <sighs> Enough said, all right? Let's pray it's not that way in any of our lives. Hmm? That wonderful joining together we have in Jesus Christ. Ah, what a joy. But in Romans 7 there, it says, the first husband is dead and you've been joined to a better. <laughs> Even unto Jesus Christ. Joined to him for all eternity. And he says, "In he's alive forevermore. Therefore, you are his bride forevermore. That's it. That's it. You belong to him. Now, that death was sacrificial, of course, and that's a very important thing for us to remember, that it, it is a sacrificial death. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Uh, his blood must be shed, for without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin. But his death must follow. That's important. For the Jews say he did not die. The Jews say we will consent that his blood was shed. But he fainted. Incidentally, so does Mary Baker Eddy. Christian science say that he fainted. That he really didn't die. So naturally, her next statement is, the blood of Jesus Christ was no more efficacious when it ran in his veins than when it was shed on the cross of Calvary. But his death was sacrificial. The blood, the cleansing power from sin. G John says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then Hebrews says, he suffered death for every man that he might bring us to God. And that death is exactly what I said, dead to the Lord, dead to sin, dead to Adam, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Tremendous truth. Now, so much for that. The scene God sets before us at the marriage supper of the Lamb is a very clear one. The church has been taken out, his bride. The great tribulation sets in on earth. The time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. To some of you, this may sound, you know, what is he talking about? I've just been saved. I've just found Christ. Don't worry about it. You'll get to know it by the time we're through. The 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation. I'm speaking of the time, and I can't help but believe it's not far off, beloved. Oh, listen to me. All I can say of the present conflict, if I can, and I don't, I'm no date setter. I don't know the day and I don't know the hour. But I want to say this. 
All I can say concerning the present conflict in Israel, in Palestine, between the Arabs and the Jews. Beloved, there are so many fulfillments of prophecy going on before our eyes that it would amaze us, and the whole world is involved for the first time. The Jews have gone through many kinds of tribulation, but never where the whole earth has got their eyes on Israel. And I want to tell you, Vietnam is a picnic. If I can say it gently, compared to that which is beginning to be formed in Israel. And the lineups are lining perfectly. Russia... Notice the note down to the president. If you insist on supplying supplies to Israel, we shall then supply war supplies to the Arab countries. The line up perfect. The Roman Empire being recreated. We see it coming slowly in the common market. I believe now there are eight nations in the common market. One day they're going to give all their power to one man. The Antichrist will come. He may already be in the world, I don't know. But I want to say that all of the signs around us, Israel back in the land and all the world concerned, oh, beloved, we should make sure that we're right with our God and with Jesus Christ. But the scene is that the marriage supper of the Lamb is right before the end of the great tribulation, before the great conquering bride and bridegroom come, all the saints of God to take the kingdoms of this world and that eternal kingdom of heaven which belongs to us. All is yours. The world... Now you understand? The world... Remember we read it before? The world and death and life... It's all yours. The day is coming when we shall take it. But the marriage supper of the Lamb is at the end of the great tribulation of seven years period. The judgment seat of Christ I spoke about several weeks ago. That's at the beginning of the great tribulation. The church taken up to himself, his bride, you and I who belong to Jesus Christ, raptured, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds in the air. And then shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort ye one another with these words. This is what our portion is. He has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. God's holy wrath, mentioned in Revelation, the fourth chapter to the 19th chapter, will never fall upon the church because to do this, it would have to fall upon His own precious Son who dwells in our breasts. And he suffered death once. And he suffered the punishment for sin once. But he'll never suffer the wrath of his own blessed Father. And so we will have been caught out. And the judgment seat taken place and all the wood, hay, and stubble burned away and the gold, silver, and precious stones remaining. Then we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, there's such a joy here. Some of the things are, to me, are so tremendous. I, I just want to mention a few because I think it's so blessed to think that 
will be living in the Father's home. You know, it's a strange thing. I have a lot of weddings. I could have a lot more. Lots of people want to get married here. They come in and they say to me, you've got a nice wide aisle down the middle. Could we get married? My dress is so big, we couldn't get down the narrow aisle of my church. And then when I mention about Jesus Christ and salvation, they shy away as though to say, well, why do I have to know all this? But this is a common thing. But marriages are, are such blessed things. And you know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of jokes about in-laws, aren't there? But you know, I'm so thankful here. This is an amazing thing. We're going to live in the Father's house. And he's not going to be a father-in-law. Isn't it amazing that both a husband and wife in this church aren't going to have a father-in-law in heaven? You're going to have a father. You know, in the old days in this country, maybe many of you, I happen to love the Lancaster area. The Amish, the Mennonites. And I love to go down there and, and see, you know, the different places. And of course, in, in some of these, in both Amish and Mennonite, and especially in the Amish people, uh, and some of the Mennonites. When a father has his son get married, boy, I bet you're going to feel bad, young folks, when you hear this. But when the boy and the family gets married, daddy owns a large farm. And when the son gets married, daddy gives his son, according to the number of his sons, acreage, builds his house on the property, and he has fellowship with his father. And down through the years, this has gone on in that country so that he distributes his estate while he's living. Now, how, just picture what we're going to have happen to us. Isn't it marvelous? Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you, my bride, my church, unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, how wonderful to know that we're going to live in the Father's house, God the Father. And we're married to His own Son. But marvel of marvels, we've received Christ as our Savior and have also become the children of God. So that a brother and a sister in Christ are joined together. And that's the kind of weddings I have. A brother and sister in Christ are joined together and then have a father who is exactly the same to each one and not an in-law to either. Now, this is something that can't happen in the world. You want a father's love. How often have I said, you parents have but one job, and it is this, 
to wean your children away from yourself so that when you die, you have weaned them from yourself to Christ that they may have a Father forever. And when you die, they'll never be orphans in the spiritual sense. They have a heavenly Father. And so, here is this tremendous joy. And that's why the weddings I have here, beloved, I'm so careful that they shall know Christ as personal Savior. Because then I marry a brother and a sister. You can't, you don't do that, you see. You don't do that in, in the physical sphere. Because why? Because the strain of blood would get too thin. That's what happens. The families can't be joined together physically. But spiritually, the blood of Christ joins you together, and instead of making the marriage weak, it makes it strong. Because you're brothers and sisters in Christ, and you have a common father. Now, isn't this wonderful? When you, a husband and wife come together, they come to their own father. What a wonderful privilege for us that he is our father. Then I couldn't help but think in Ephesians 5.27, he, he's going to present this bride unto himself. It's, it's, it's a private presenting of the bride, if I can say that. A private presenting of the bride. You remember in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, he says, I show you a great mystery concerning Christ and his church. I'm speaking of marriage, he says, but I'm speaking of Jesus and his church. And he's going to have a private presenting. Ephesians 5, 27, that he might present it to himself, his bride, a glorious church, not having a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish for himself. You know how a girl watches that wedding dress, huh? You know when they get married? Why, if there was a spot on the wedding dress, wouldn't that be terrible? You can just picture. If the wedding dress were wrinkled, wouldn't that be terrible? And so here he says he's going to present it to himself without spot, without blemish, and unto himself. And then, beloved, there'll be guests. Ah, this is wonderful. There'll be guests at the wedding. Now, would you look with me if, uh, in Revelation 19, I think, verse 10. Number 9 is the marriage of the Lamb. Number 10 now, let's look at it. Going to be guests. How blessed. Because it has to be guests at a wedding. A wedding without guests, kind of unthinkable. A supper for just the bride and the groom, well, be a little lonely, and especially in God's eyes. And so there are guests. They're not the bride, but they're there. And those guests are very important. Notice that tenth verse, or the ninth verse, I should say. Uh, he said, blessed are those the bride is mentioned in 7th and 8th verses, ninth verse. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These 
are the true sayings of God. Now here's the guests that are called. The bride is composed of all of the children of God who've been redeemed in the blood of Christ. Every child of God having the Spirit of Christ dwell in them. Remember, Paul says, if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But the Spirit of Christ, by faith in Jesus, has come to dwell in our hearts, and we are one with him. We are members of his flesh and of his bones. Remember the marriage covenant, and ye too shall be one flesh. Jesus says, you're members of my flesh and of my bones, and we're members one of another. You and I, members of Christ. Remember in John 17, where he says, Father, I would that we all may be one, I in them and thou in me, that we may be made perfect in one. And so here is the glorious bride. This is the church. This is the, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And here is the bride adorned in all of the glory of the purity of the white linen of the saints. God says, those righteous acts that you have performed since you were saved will have part to do with the glorious garments you wear. What you did before you were saved are burned away. They're gone, forgotten. No more they remembered. The sins are gone. But now, he said, there's some wood, hay, and stubble I've had to burn away. Now you come perfectly fashioned to the wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb. And so the number one group is the bride. That's the church. And then the number two group is the blessed guests. And those guests are the Old Testament saints. How do we know that? Very simple. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist is not of the New Testament John died before Christ's crucifixion. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And John had this to say. And remember that I have an idea that Jesus tenderly, when he spoke about John the Baptist, remembered that he would be one of the main guests at that marriage supper because he was the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He was the one that proclaimed the great message of God. He says, I'm the one that must make straight the way of the Lord in the wilderness. And so here's John the Baptist. He's dead before Christ is crucified. And he's a guest at the table. Listen to John's words in John 3.29. He that hath a bride is the bridegroom. Ah, that's Christ in his church. But the friend of the bridegroom. Ah, that's John. That's the Old Testament prophets. That's the Old Testament priests who believed in the Messiah's coming. The friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy is therefore fulfilled. I'm satisfied, he said. That which I proclaimed, that Christ was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. You've believed. You're part of the bride. I rejoice. The Old Testament prophets rejoice. Abraham rejoices. All of the saints of the Old Testament who loved the coming of the Messiah rejoice. And they're the guests. Blessed are the guests who are called 
to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a day. Did you ever think about, you know, I think about this a lot. I think Abraham's going to be there. Imagine the joy of speaking with Abraham. Imagine the joy of speaking with Abel. Hebrews 11.3, you see here, John records that there'll be guests, but Hebrews 11, Paul records some of the guests that are going to be there by faith. By faith. Twenty times by faith, Abraham. By faith, Abel. By faith. And he says, and they sought a better resurrection, which was to come. They're the guests. What a moment. Oh, I don't know whether you've comprehended this or not. What a moment. The marriage supper, here's the lamb and us. The Father, we're all one. Wonderfully so. The Jews are not upset by this. They glory in it. Abraham glories in it. Remember Jesus, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Moses rejoiced. And they'll be there, the guests. But you know, I couldn't help but think something that struck my mind. The great body in the bride of Christ and in the guests will be unknowns. In other words, known only to God. Only God looks on the heart. You won't be famous, will you? When you get there, you look around at the guests, and I can picture, you know, just like you go to a banquet now. You know, you go to the banquet, and you sit there, and you look up at the head table. Ooh, who's that up there? Remember? Who's that? I can just picture, you know, sitting and saying, Paul, look, there's Paul. Paul! You might cry out, could I speak to you later? You know how you wait till after the dinner? One of them has said something and you haven't quite grasped it. Or they've said something maybe that uh, you'd like to talk to them about a little more. And I can just picture there and say, Paul, could I see you a little later? I want to talk to you, Paul. This great marriage supper, though, but most everybody, like you and like me, are going to be unknowns. Just thankful with air. Thankful with air. Known to God. You know, it couldn't help but make me think, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the unknown soldier thing. I remember going to Washington when I was about, oh, in my 20s, you know. But I remember going down to Washington. I remember going to the tomb of the unknown soldier. And I can remember going there and how my heart felt, you know. There was a boy buried here, unknown. And on the inscription it says, known only to God. Well, I wasn't a Christian and since then I've thought many times and I've thought, I hope he was known to God. Nobody really knows who he was. Known only to God. 
And I couldn't help but think of the numbered, uncounted numbers of unknown saints were not all Paul's or Abraham's or Isaac's or Jacob's or Moody's or Billy Graham's or any of these unknown to the world. But oh, how blessed to know we're known to God. God's whole Word tells us that He knows us. I know my sheep. How? By name. And they follow me. And another they will not follow. Isn't that wonderful? Here we are. Franklin Avenue Baptist. Each one's faith is individual. But isn't it glorious to know? I hope you feel the glory of this thing because it's so tremendous. Once it gets in your heart, you will, you will want to just shout, Hallelujah, that I'm saved. God, you've made me free. Free from earth, free from sin, free from death, free from Adam, and bound to Christ by a marriage covenant that's eternal. And one day I'll sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb and I'll see all of the precious church, the ones that I even am doubtful about now and wonder whether they're saved. I praise God some of them will be there. And I hate to say that some of those we thought would be there may not be there, but it will be all of the glorious church of those who really in sincere faith believed on Jesus Christ as their personal Savior in the presence of the Lord. And there at all those other tables, and I don't know how far they'll extend, for eternity's a mighty big place. And I don't think the Lord's going to have a supper that's just in the lower auditorium. Oh, it's going to be a great supper. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me say this. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you? You know, is it real? Do you really believe you're going to see Abraham? Do you? Well, if you believe you do, God says you will. Why, at the Mount of Transfiguration, the apostles saw Moses and Elijah. Well, if they saw them, don't worry about us seeing them. We're members of the church of the body of Jesus Christ. Do you really believe this? Because if you do, your heart is fired by God. I want to tell you, there's a lot of people in the world that sound asleep concerning spiritual things. They don't believe a thing concerning this. But I would remind you that faith in Christ makes us part of his body and of his flesh and of his bones, members one of another with a heavenly Father who's given a heavenly Son to die on a cross for our sins and then has brought us into a glorious marriage relationship with the risen Christ that she might be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Ah, that's it. Beloved, how many of you this morning really love the Savior? You've trusted Christ with all your heart. You believe 
Oh, there's lots of things you don't fully understand yet. You don't have to understand everything. But just to know, the only reason God's put me up here is to teach this is divine truth. Did you notice in that portion when he speaks of those blessed guests, he finishes in that ninth verse by making sure, because he knows how human hearts are, he knows they're liable even Christians not to believe, and he says, these are the true sayings of God. Why? Why does he have to say it? It's the word. Because he knows that human hearts are so frail and so weak, even Christians have not fully grasped the fullness of the joy that the world is theirs. Death and life are theirs. Eternity is theirs. Christ is theirs. Sins are gone. The law is gone. My Adamic relationship is gone. And I've been joined unto another, even to him who arose from the dead. How many of you know this morning that the Holy Spirit is in you? That you're redeemed. If you know that, let me see your hands. How many really know I am Christ? Put your hands way up. Everybody that believes. Praise the Lord. You can put them down. Now, there may have been some who couldn't. I didn't see you, but God did. Now, let us pray. Maybe the day you'd like to come. Let us pray. Now, Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious Word, blessed to our hearts. Lord, how we thrill at what the future holds for the church, the Bride of Christ. We'll never fully comprehend of all that it means, but we remember Jesus said that I hath not seen nor ear heard the glories which God hath prepared for them that love him. But he has revealed it unto us by his Spirit. And Father, may we not forget that, that the Spirit reveals it to us. Now, Father, some couldn't raise their hands this morning. I have no idea, Father, who they were. But it may be with every eye closed and every heart praying, that they might like to say, Lord, here's my hand. I want to put it up for the first time today. Here's my hand. Anyone, just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, praise the Lord. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I couldn't put it up before, but I really believe that Christ is my Savior. Oh, I know there's a lot more to learn, but I just want that. Christ is my Savior. Put it up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. No one's looking around. It's between you and God. Just let me pray for you. Anyone else? Quickly. Hand up. Hand up. Anyone in the balcony? Anyone on the first floor? Anyone at all? Just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Quickly. Just one moment, and then I close. Anywhere at all. Don't hesitate. If you're saying in your heart, oh, I should do it this morning, 
Other times I've thought I trusted Christ, but really when I think of all he's done for me, oh, I must do it today. Put your hand high and just say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone? Quickly. Mother, dad, husband or wife. You want to be one in Christ. One for that eternity with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Anyone? One more minute and then I close. Anyone at all like to join this one? Quickly. Father, we do thank thee for thy presence with us this morning, and we pray that thou wouldst bless and undertake for the one who found Christ as personal Savior this morning. Then there may be others, Lord, we cannot tell hearts that might have turned to thee. Sometimes, Lord, timidity forbids. Father, we pray that that timidity might pass away. For it is with the heart that a man believes. And confession is made with the mouth to salvation. So, Lord, we pray that no one will leave here without Christ in their hearts. We thank thee for the myriad whose hands went up of solid faith in Christ the Savior. Bless every heart, we pray. Give us a consciousness of the greatness of our salvation. We're liable to restrict it so unless we understand all the fullness of God's word and his plans and his preparation for his bride, the church, and the guests at the table. In Christ's name, amen.